Today's episode is sponsored by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. It's easy and fun to use as well as affordable. And did you know that science shows meditation can reduce anxiety and improve your relationships? Head to expectful.com slash motherbirth for an exclusive one month free trial just for motherbirth listeners. We, as, as women and feminists, we fought to get ourselves into work, but we fought to get ourselves into a structure that was designed for men with a full-time wife at home to take care of house and home. Welcome to Motherbirth. We help women awaken the confidence that is already within. This is a space for vivid, inspiring birth stories, meaningful advice from guest experts, and honest exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everyone, welcome to Mother Birth Today. Laura and I are here together with a special guest and we are really excited as we are moving into summer and really we've been connecting with a lot of amazing, amazing women in the last few months. We were recently at the ACNM conference where we had the opportunity to connect with a lot of midwives around the country and hear some of their stories, which we'll be sharing with you soon as well. Um, Laura is wrapping up uh, school year. Laura, do you want to tell us where you're at with that? Sure. I'm kind of in the middle of um, transitioning into my very last year in midwifery school, which is very exciting. So some big things going on there will be my extern year or my residency or capstone, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's the year where I really just live the life of a midwife and simultaneously I'm working on my traumatic birth um, evidence-based uh, implementation project, which you can hear a lot more about in one of our episodes, um, which definitely coincides with the things that Melissa has going on um, over at Trust Your Body again. You want to tell us a little bit about that, Melissa? Yeah, so um, we are we launched a program for women who have experienced pregnancy loss and want to trust their bodies again. And it's an online course that is six weeks long. We are running that on our website, and you can check that out obviously at motherbirth.co. Today we are going to be chatting with someone who brings another perspective to this conversation. And we're really excited. Someone reached out to us after one of the recent episodes that we aired about breech birth, which was really popular and sparked a lot of really interesting conversations amongst our listeners, both on Instagram and and other places. So Summer reached out and wanted to share her story. Um, Summer, will you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Um, yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is uh, Summer Edwards. Um, I am actually based in Australia um, and I do a few things around the place. Um, I run Lead Mama Lead, which we'll get into later. Um, I also blog about sustainable fashion and work with social enterprises. But um, in my personal life, um, I am, I've home birthed my two boys and my um, experience with birth really started in my childhood because my mother was also a home um, birthing mum and I'm the oldest of five home birth children and my early life experiences include included witnessing two of the two births um, of two of my siblings and then um, also waking up in the morning having slept through two births of my other and then there's the baby (laughs) and welcome (laughs) I love that I think you know we we talk a lot about 
what it looks like to raise an, a generation of people who aren't afraid of their bodies and aren't afraid of the process of birth. And I think that that, that proximity and that nearness to the experience of birth and to the normalcy of birth is probably the most important step. So if you're you know, thinking about that experience and how it affected your perspective about birth and motherhood, what would you, how would you describe as you approached your own, you know, your own adulthood and your own motherhood journey, what was really the, the primary takeaway that you had from, from your observations growing up? Um, yeah, it's really interesting because as a, as a child and a teenager, um, particularly as a teenager, I'd hear a few of those negative hospital birth stories. And I, I just assumed, oh, well, I guess my mom's just genetically lucky. She didn't need any of that. And her births were mm-hmm. all normal and straightforward. And, and, and I saw that and it was just a normal, natural thing. And so I just assumed I, I was lucky because my mom had good genes when it came to birth so therefore I did too it was Mm -hmm. and and so it was natural for me to go well it's just normal to birth at home and that's what I'm going to do but it was only when I was actually pregnant with my first son that I started to read about birth and understand the systematic factors involved in birth outcomes and why Mm -hmm. some of those outcomes can be negative in um in hospital environments and what were the philosophical positions around why women birth at home. So I was actually really sheltered from from the need to understand that because it was so normal for my mum to birth at home and then my Mm. sister below me, she she became a mum before me so she'd had her daughter at home. Um, And my husband even, he wasn't at all concerned because he knew that we'd all birthed at home and so when I wanted to make that choice, he was perfectly comfortable um, mm. but I only, yeah, got to know what are the broader systemic issues at play once I had already made that choice. Go ahead. It's so interesting and almost a flip of what you're saying would be other people's normal, like to mm-hmm. really find the exploration of home birth as more of an outlier versus that was your kind of baseline. Yeah. 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 In the community that you grew up in, was that a normal choice? Were there other, were, were peers of your mother also choosing home birth? Did you experience that in a more extended communal or familial sense? Not at all, actually. My, my parents were sort of, sort of hippies. We were also vegetarian, but they didn't have a strong kind of network of, of people around them who were also of that philosophy. So mm. it, was, it was completely... Um, unusual for us to do that and um we'd occasionally meet a family I remember I'd get really excited if as a teenager if I ever met someone either who'd been vegetarian since birth or who had been born at home because they were so unusual to find um Mm -hmm. so I was quite disconnected in that um, respect but as Mm -hmm. for me as a family it was just the normal um choice yeah did you ever question that choice? Did you ever, either before reaching your own prenatal decision-making period or during that decision-making period, did you ever think, oh my gosh, what if this isn't right for me? What if I am not genetically, you know, compatible with this decision model? Or, you know, what if what if my, you know, partner or community will, you know, will be judgmental of this decision? Um, I think, I mean, I... I there was a little bit of um, 
me not not questioning my choice but not wanting to have to justify my choice to others so when when I saw my GP, uh, so my in Australia we have general practitioner doctors who refer you to specialists if you need them, but they generally look after everything. Um, and to have a private practicing midwife who's under the um, insurance health insurance policies in Australia, you've got to be referred by a, by your primary doctor. And I just remember her saying, oh, which hospital have you decided to birth in? And instead of engaging in that conversation, I just said, oh, I haven't decided yet. Um, Because my midwife also does practice in hospitals um, and I just didn't feel like having to justify why I was making that choice. But I never questioned it for myself because the births that I witnessed were just so beautiful, peaceful, uneventful, not scary in the slightest. Um, Mm. And I never viewed birth as something to be afraid of or something that was dangerous for me. Um, And every, every sign was that my pregnancy was normal and healthy. So I was, I never second guessed that choice. Hmm. I think that that's very common that you have this kind of more of a weight of other people's understanding versus your own. So Mm -hmm. kind of just, I feel like you hear that a lot from women who make the decision to birth alternatively, whatever that might be, but especially with home birth is that you can kind of gauge who might be open to it and who's close to it. And you kind of have to decide if you want to engage that conversation. And so, you know, it's interesting to me, obviously as a provider that you would feel like, that, that you had a provider that you obviously trusted and chose to see, but you also knew that maybe she wouldn't be as open as you were. Yeah. I mean, home birth is still not well accepted by doctors in Australia. Um, and compare Australia is probably the midway point between the US and somewhere like the Netherlands. So we do have yeah. um, a strong kind of midwife-led practice here um, and there is a bit less intervention here than we see in the US, but there's still quite a medicalised model here. And um, I was just aware that other countries in the world are much more supportive of home birth um, and I just didn't feel like having to have a fight or risking that she would turn me down because my my midwife had also warned me that there are GPs who just refuse to provide that referral Um to her so I just I just you know I didn't want to have to fight for anything when it came to my birth because that was the whole reason that I was having a home birth Mm. yeah it's very interesting you know we obviously talk so much with women about self-advocacy and really having the confidence to to choose what you want and then to stand up for what it is that you want. But there is this, this other side of it where like that, that is exhausting and putting yourself in this continual position of having to do that can be, can be really draining and really disempowering. Um, especially if you're constantly getting pushback, if you're constantly feeling like it's an uphill battle. And so, you know, I, I mean, I've experienced that in my own journey as well. And I think that there are definitely certain, certain choices or certain, approaches that we can take that it doesn't mean it doesn't mean we don't have to advocate for ourselves in any way but that it kind of it you know we're we're choosing we're choosing a you know a system that just doesn't have some of the inherent obstacles that maybe the more traditional or mainstream medical model has yeah 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 
So what were your experiences of giving birth at home and how did that corroborate your, your uh, understanding of what that would be like? Um, it's really interesting because just before I said I never questioned my decision to home birth, um, it's actually not true. During the, a certain point in my first labour at home, I did question my decision to home birth. <laughs> um, so my first birth, I guess I'd seen, I guess I should start with what I saw as a child. So um, at, when I was four years old, um, my second sister was was being born um, at night and I'd woken up to it. Um, and my, this is one of my earliest memories is dad and the midwife um, up with mum and coaching her and mum on the bed and me just down the other end watching this baby's head and knowing that they didn't even realise the baby was crowning yet. I was the first person in the world to see this baby um, mm. and I was just so thrilled by that experience knowing that I was the first person in the world ever to to witness this baby and so from four years old birth was just this normal incredible experience for me and then when I was 14 um, my mum went into labour seven o'clock at night and this was her fifth baby um, and between her waters broke at 7 30 p.m um, and then by 11 30 p.m. this baby um, my littlest brother was born and he because it was her fifth um, pregnancy he had actually turned between the last um, midwife appointment and him coming out so he they believed his head was engaged and he came out um, bottom first Um, Mm. and and I mean, that was a four-hour labour from waters breaking and no contractions to a healthy baby boy coming out. Um, and the midwife had oxygen. He needed a little bit of oxygen when he was born. But there was no fear or it was just so normal and and my mum made it look like it was easy. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and so when I went into my own labour, I'd practiced um, yoga for many years and I felt really prepared. Um, and then having seen the serenity of my mum, particularly in that in that fifth um, birth that she had, um, I thought I can do this. And when it turned out that my my first son was malpositioned and I had incredibly intense back labour, um, I um, really started to freak out very fairly early on in the labour um, mm. and I had very intense for um, contractions that were one minute long, four minutes apart for a good 10 hours um, but my waters had broke before that um, so it had been the slow rising up before before it reached that intensity and so in the slow rising up period I felt like oh you know this is labor I can do this and then when that intensity came on that's when I started to really question my ability to do this at all and I became Mm. really frightened um my midwife was there um and I just started screaming in pain in the during the contractions and I I didn't know how to cope with it and at that moment I kept thinking why did I do this I can't do this I, I 
why did I birth at home? I, I cannot do this. And it was at that moment that I realised why people have epidurals. Um, I could I just mm-hmm. couldn't understand to my core that if I had have been somewhere where I had that as an option, I would have taken it at that moment. I was so scared. And short, yeah. shortly after that point, um, my midwife said to me, Summer, you're trying to do something. You need to let go and your body will do it for you. And that was incredible. It was exactly what I needed to hear. And so I'd probably been just freaking out in pain for two hours and then she said the exact thing I needed to hear and I completely let go. Um, And the contractions didn't change but I stopped being scared and the pain was less and um, Mm -hmm. I somehow just found the strength um, to let go and to trust my body and to not harden my body in response to the pain. Um, Mm -hmm. And my labour went on for another eight hours. But my my relationship to that labour completely changed. And by the time it got to pushing, my body's urge to push was so strong that I could not do anything to stop it. I just pushed so hard and I could feel I was going to tear, but my body was just pushing this baby out and it only took a couple of pushes and, and he was out. But it was between my waters breaking and him being born was um, 20 hours. Um, so it was a long, intense experience and I was really wiped out at the end of it. But the next day, I just knew that that was the most physically empowering experience of my entire life. Hmm. Despite, you know, how scary it was at some point, but I've never forgotten that the lesson that I learned from that one thing my midwife said to me that totally transformed everything. Um, And that's one of the things I often think about when at the systemic level, like when women aren't given a care provider who has that capacity to support natural birth and and knows what to give to you as a birthing mother to to help you find the courage and the strength. I think that's so beautiful. And I also just want to say thank you for saying that you are afraid. I feel like that's something that is really difficult to understand and own in in those moments. You know, I feel like a lot of times people say, I was tired um, or I don't know. I don't know. I, just, I feel like that's something unique that I haven't heard someone say, but I think that is really, really real with women in that process. And I think it's, it's important, like yeah. you said, for you to call it out. And also, for, like you said, your, your midwife knew exactly what to say to you to break that cycle of fear and to kind of pull you up out of it and out of what, what was suffering and move into letting birth um, happen. Cause we, you know, birth is intense. It's painful. It's, it's a strong, powerful force and it is normal to have fear be be a response. Yeah. When you were talking summer, it just reminds me so much of the, you know, the theory that there was an obstetrician back in the, you know, early 1900s who, who pioneered some really important work around 
the the physiology, but also the psychology of birth. And he talked about this cycle called the fear tension pain cycle. And, you know, it's, it's this idea that fear creates tension or um, pain creates tension and then tension creates fear. Um, Fear creates more, you know, more pain and you just go, you just go in this cycle. And, and that advice, it's so similar to what my mom said to me when I was pregnant with my first son, which I actually was not able to I was not able to understand or activate what she told me in that labor, but I did experience it in my subsequent labor. She just said to me, she said, don't fight the contractions. Just let them do their work. Like let them, let them move through you. Understand that that they have a purpose. And if you, if you tense your body, if you fight against them, you're, you're stopping them from doing what they're supposed to do. And that was, you know, my mother's kind of very lay expression of, of that same concept. But my mother also you know, birthed 10 babies. So (laughs) I very much felt like, I know, you know what you're talking about. I just can't actually translate that to the physical experience that I'm having. And, and, you know, now knowing more, you know, knowing and understanding more that I do about the, the actual, you know, physiology of birth, it's, it's so true. Like if we, if we're able to let go, if we're able to allow this, this very, very purposeful pain to do its work and, and to not fight against it. It's, it's a, it is a very empowering and transformative experience. Um, even though you still experienced fear and you still experienced pain, you know, I think, I think a lot of times kind of what Laura was getting at too, it's like, we either have people who talk about birth being very traumatic and very difficult, or they talk about like, you know, I had a euphoric pain-free birth or, you know, the baby was born in, you know, 45 minutes and, and most of us are somewhere in between, you know, we experience, we experience a lot of different things in labor. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's really important to sort of know the difference between knowing something on an intellectual level and knowing it, you know, on a physical or um, intuitive level. And some of these things, like I felt like I was ready for birth. And as far as women go you couldn't really get more ready for birth than the experiences that I'd had without giving birth yourself and I almost feel like that difficult birth was necessary for me to fully understand um other women in birth um if I had have just had an easy um relatively um pain-free birth I wouldn't know why people need epidurals or feel so afraid that they they opt for them um but I absolutely know that that's what I would have done had it been available to me I was I was very very afraid at that point um and Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing with surrendering to the contractions um I'd practiced yoga for eight years before my birth and um I thought I understood surrender but it was not until my midwife said what she said to me um, that I really learnt um, what it means to surrender to an experience um, and that has flowed on to my mothering um, and my yoga practice and how I deal with stress in my career, like learning to surrender mm. and let go and just trust the process um, is such a valuable lesson that it's really hard to learn any other way. Yeah. Totally. 
I was just having that conversation with some friends the other night and we were talking about how the experiences of pregnancy and birth and postpartum really are these, these foundational experiences that, that teach you coping skills and, and, you know, mothering skills that you're going to need for the rest of your entire life. I mean, even when your children are grown and gone from home, like you're still, you're always going to be in a new situation that, that requires those same, those same skills and those same intuitive abilities. And, and like you just said, you can also apply it to other areas of your life, to your, to your career, to your, you know, to your adult relationships, to, um, your spiritual practices, to whatever that looks like. And, and also those lessons then applied into the next birth, um, which was Mm, completely different to my first, they were at opposite ends of the spectrum. So, um, my first, with my first pregnancy, I'd worked up until, um, 38 and a half weeks. Um, so I'd been sitting on a chair for a long time and I think that's why he was malpositioned. He wasn't posterior. His head was just on its side. Um, and that's what caused the back labor. Um, he came, he turned at the last minute and then came out, um, in the anterior position, but the side of his skull was pushing into my spine. Um, and with my second birth, I, um, realized I'd worked way too long the first pregnancy um, and I finished at 32 weeks and had a long um, a lovely time to just prepare for the birth and and I would go swimming regularly and and practice yoga at home and so he was just um, in in the right spot and there was no pain the way that there was pain with my first um, labor mm. and it still it still hurt, but I because of what I'd learned about surrender, I was really able to just um, let go of everything. And and my mum was supposed to come to my first birth, and she was actually she lives on the other side of Australia, and she'd come five five days early before my due date because she said first baby you won't go early and I did so she was in the air when I gave birth to my first son Mm. and so it was just my midwife um and she had a student midwife with her and then my husband um for that birth and then for the next birth my mum was there um and my mum was just so amazed after she'd given birth to five babies at home she was just so amazed at how relaxed I was um and I was able to be Mm. relaxed like that because of the intensity of birth that I'd experienced before and what I learned about surrender um and when I spoke to my midwife I said oh you don't need to rush um I I think this baby's way off because of how long and intense my previous labor had been um and she said oh well just remember you know I've got to drive from from the coast so it's going to be three hours you know I'll have something to eat and I'll come and um she I could feel I I was in transition and she still wasn't there um and I could feel that my body was sort of ready to push but um I just thought well it's going to hurt more if I push and my midwife's not here so I'm just going to relax um and so it did it did mean that 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 pushing stage was longer because I wasn't pushing um and she made it she made it there and I remember hearing my mum say um she's so relaxed she hasn't even squeezed my hand once um and that 
you know, every contraction, my entire body, I just completely let go, completely relaxed. Um, and and when he was born, um, he was born maybe 15 minutes after my midwife arrived um, and he came straight out in the birth pool. I also had my husband in the birth pool with me, so I just sat on his lap through every contraction um, and my little boy came out and sat on my my naked chest and immediately within two minutes of being born just latched onto my breast um and it was just so Mm. so different and just this beautiful calm serene experience um that I mentioned to so many people afterwards and they just couldn't believe someone so close to birth had would describe their recent birth experiences such a right. serene experience but it was just so different and but I would never have had the tools to experience his birth that way had I not had my older son's birth a very different way before mm. yeah yeah that's it's so interesting how you know, our birth experiences usually are pretty different from each other. I mean, some women do have really similar birth experiences, but you know, there's, there's always something that's different. There's always something that, that sets it apart. And I think that it's, you know, a really common and very normal thing for many women to have their first birth experience be the one that is maybe longer and more difficult for a lot of reasons. And, and many of that, many of those reasons are, are mental, are emotional, you know, it's, it's just hard to, it's hard to imagine, like you said, how, how do you actually surrender? And, you know, it took you more than halfway into your first birth to really understand that and to, to really be able to implement that. And then in your second birth, you had this sort of inborn, cellular memory that allowed you to activate that from the beginning. And, and there were probably some physiological factors that meant that that was, you know, going to be an, just a quicker, more progressive birth anyways, you know, like positioning and stuff like you mentioned. But I just think it's so interesting how, how we metabolize these experiences so differently. And I wonder too, in your postpartum experiences, did you, did any differences show up based on kind of how you felt about those birth experiences? Um, yeah, I felt, I felt like, because my, my first son was quite an anxious, intense baby as well, whereas my, um, second son was, has a more laid back personality. Um, and I felt like those birth experiences, um, mirrored their personalities a bit um but I do remember also I guess knowing that I'm much more relaxed the second time around and I'm much less anxious the second time around um and I was much more able to just um I I guess surrender to those early months and just know that you know this is a short period in my life and and really mindfully enjoy those early days with my little boy um, and know that it know that it's not going to take it's not going to be forever and I think that's probably the difference between my first labor and my second labor and my first child and my second child is that in the first experience you don't it just feels like it's never going to end whether that was the labor or whether that was the early 
parenting um, period, but you know this this lack of sleep or this, this pain, it feels like it's it's never ending, and 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 so you're yeah. focusing on out there instead of being in the present moment, and and I think all the skills that I gained from my first parenting experience and first um, birth experience were then applied into my second son. So instead of being anxious and overwhelmed with my second son when he was um, less than six months old, I wrote and published an entire ebook and started selling it. Um, and, you know, I just, he didn't want it. He also didn't want to get put down ever, but I just let him sleep in the ergo on my chest and got on with my life. Whereas mm-hmm. with my first son, I was like, what am I doing wrong? He won't let me put me down, put him down ever. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. I spent almost five months in, in the bedroom trying to get him to sleep without me and then it just never worked. Um, so, yeah, so the second time around I really just surrendered to who this baby was and what he needed and was able to get what I needed at the same time as him getting what he needed, um, whereas the first yeah. baby and the first birth was both more fighting um the experience rather than going flowing with the experience I love that picture Mm. of kind of surrendering like you said surrendering to your baby and then also being able to find yourself in that surrender it's not one of the other sometimes I feel so much like you're you're facing we had a woman chair on the show that like a newborn baby is a tyrant, you know, they kind of get to call the shots and it's, you know, it can, mm-hmm. it can feel that way, especially if you're, you know, fighting against something and what a great picture of kind of learning your child and, and finding yourself in that process. I wanted to ask you too. And, um, you know, it sounds very much like your first a birth experience was a journey you needed to go through to kind of come into who you are now and how you face your parenting, but also what you're doing for work. Do you feel your partner is on the same journey? Do you feel how, like what was the perspective that they had on both experiences? I think um, like me, he was really exhausted um, at the end of the first birth because it was, it was so long and because he was the only support person there. So because it was a home birth and it was in um, going into winter, um, he was having to take buckets of water out of the birth pool um, in order to put more hot water in to keep the temperature up. And um, and he also, when I was freaking out, he also was going through those same thing, thoughts like, oh, this can't go on. Um, how is she going to do this? This has, this has to end. So I think he went through a really similar um, thought process um, and I do remember him just overhearing a comment that, that let me know that he was in the same kind of headspace that, that I was in when he was asking the midwife something. Um, mm. And so I think probably for him the experience of the second birth was really powerful too to just see how different it was and to see um, that he had no fear and I had no fear. And both of us understood what his role was more. Um, I I had no idea what I would need from him for my first birth um, and he and because my mum wasn't there to help as well, um, he had to do more of the um, just the you know the water and just sorting out, making sure everything. the practical yeah. stuff. Yeah. Whereas 
with the second birth, my mum was there, so she, and and it was also a summertime birth, so there was less um, emptying of cold water to be done. But um, my mum could do those things, and he could be with me for the whole experience, and and it was so beautiful for both of us to be in that birth pool together. Mm. Um, and for him to be right there when our baby was lifted onto my chest. So so he, when my baby was there latching onto my breast, I was sitting on my husband's lap in the birth pool. So he was right there with that experience. Um, and I think, yeah, it was really beautiful for both of us um, to go through that together and to know and he knew more about how he could support me and I knew more about what I needed from him. Um, and we, although yeah. we did all the classes before, we weren't, we weren't prepared um, for that aspect of, of birth the first time around. Yeah. Yeah, I've been having so many conversations lately with, you know, even just in my personal life around just what it's like to transition from that, the energy around your first child and that, you know, the birth experience, your postpartum experience, your, your parenting, you know, discoveries and orientation, transitioning from that to what it's like to have more children. And this sounds kind of dramatic, but I just feel like it's a cruel biological feature that that there are like, that there is birth order, <laughs> the first children, like, I just feel like they get the brunt of everything that we have to figure out as parents. And, you know, our, our birth experiences, our postpartum transitions, our, um, you know, just how we have to figure out our parenting journey as we go. And one thing that I have found really interesting is that, you know, the ease and the grace and the, the familiarity and, and just kind of peacefulness that comes often. And obviously this is not true for everyone. So I'm, I'm, I don't want to overgeneralize, but you know, a lot of times we, we feel more comfortable as we're parenting our second children and we're, you know, we're less anxious and we, we are just, you know, hold things with more open hands. And I had kind of hoped when I had my daughter last year that, 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 that sort of ease would, translate to my relationship with my older son. And on some level it does, but on another level it doesn't because how I'm starting to frame it is that he is always, my oldest son is always on the cutting edge of what I haven't experienced yet. What I don't yet, like you said, when you have a six, when you have a three month old baby and it's your first baby, you truly, truly do think this baby will cry forever. And it doesn't matter who tells you, like, it's not going to last forever. I swear to God, like, look at, look at my 10 year old child. They are not crying. You just cannot contextualize that for yourself. And once you've had your own child that has outgrown that phase and gone on to other horrible phases and other joyful phases and all, you know, all of the things, then you do have context for it. And so when the next time you have a three month old that has got you up all night long, or like you said, that won't sleep in anything but the carrier, you know, it's not going to last on a, just like in your bones, you know, it's not going to last. And so it's just, your oldest child is always on the cutting edge of that. It's always the cutting edge of what you haven't experienced yet and what you don't yet know or trust is going to to shift you know I talk about this a lot with my mom friends as well and I think there's a lot of guilt that goes along with 
poor yeah. first child that like they get the fact that we're always learning through every ex- new development phase of their life and it's always going to be like that. Um, but they also bear the brunt of us finding our confidence amidst all of the systemic pressure that we get to parent a certain way, um, to have our children um, raised a certain way, and it takes years for us to gain our confidence um, at, to find our own unique parenting path um, amidst all of the mm. messages we're bombarded with about what it means to be a good mum, what it means to be a good parent, what it means to have a good career, um, what it means to, you know, have a child um, and for their behaviour to be a certain way and um, we just, there's so much we have to sort out and it's not just this learning how to be a parent but it's learning to trust our intuition and what kind of a parent we want to be um, and it takes so long mm. and and so my early, um, the sleep stuff for me was um, I didn't want to let him cry it out but I, I felt like, oh, I'm doing it wrong if I let him sleep on me and I've got to, I've got to get him to sleep in the cot and it, it just never worked and and. I now could trust with my second, my intuition on that, it's not working for, the, for him and, and this is why. It's not that I'm doing something wrong and it's not that my parenting choice is going to um, it somehow damage or change him. Um, so we've just got so much to sort out in terms of how society pressures mums to be a certain way um, and, and our first child bears the brunt of us of us figuring that out as well yeah but also absolutely. you know they're both of you are oldest children correct yeah so i and melissa you are mm-hmm. raising and someone you're raising your children with another oldest child so i do think it's interesting kind of yes. like <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's like it's interesting the energy that it's like you know, oh, oh, what, oh, what might be the consequence of my poor oldest child who has to bear the brunt of me when the reality is that, you know, so much independence and so much ingenue and so much creativity comes from being the oldest and being the first. And, yeah. you know, if we want to, we could, mm-hmm. you know, we could parse birth order for, there's whole podcasts about that, but I do think it is interesting in that way to like finding that grace for yourself. Like you were saying, Summer, is that someone has to be the oldest, you know, I'm a middle kid. So I benefited from not having to be the oldest and, 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 you know, (laughs) I mean, they all, they all come with their, you know, but it is interesting. I think there are a lot of oldest children, um, out in the world doing very creative things to help other people. It's a very common thread. Yeah, Yeah. It's funny that I feel so much guilt about it because I, I, Look, always looked upon my experience as the oldest child as I think I in some respects had it harder like in terms of discipline and my dad you know being harder on me than the other siblings but I always felt like I I had it best um being the oldest um so now when I feel guilty yeah. about my poor oldest son like I have to reflect back on well you know what's his actual experience of this and you know right. for me it meant it was really positive to be the oldest child. Yeah. That's actually a really interesting reminder and something I haven't reflected on too much, which is just that memory of what it was like. I mean, I definitely 
feel like I got the brunt of many things growing up as the oldest child, but I also felt like I had, like it fostered so much independence and drive and ingenuity in me. Um, and I am, you know, so hardworking and so communal because of it. I mean, I helped raise nine siblings, you know, and I think that there's, there's, there are a lot of gifts there that, that are easy to overlook. Maybe when you're in the the trenches of, of parenting your own oldest child. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I was second mom to my, my littlest brother because my mom had to run her mother's business because her mother was gravely ill. So I'd done all the, everything but breastfeeding and giving birth basically before I became a mom. Um, so there is, you know, a lot of value to being the oldest child as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it's it's really interesting. One of the one of the things that I keep hearing you say throughout this conversation, and I know that you know we we broached this topic before this conversation as well. Just kind of, you really have a heart for for confronting these systemic issues in our culture, whether that's around birth, whether that's around perceptions of motherhood, whether that's around our, you know, internalized experiences of motherhood. Um, and I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that has evolved for you. And, and also if you don't mind sharing, was this something that was of interest to you or something that you worked towards before you had children or was it really your inception as a mother that kind of awakened this, this interest or this desire? I think it's a bit of both. Um, so I, I also, I grew up with, you know, parents who were a little bit outside of the system. Um, and also we were really poor. So I grew up in poverty and, but I saw the talent of my parents. Um, and so my dad was an artist and musician and my mum was a seamstress. Um, and I just saw these um, talents not being recognised in the economic system. And so that whole experience of being a little bit outside this cultural system and then being a little bit marginalised in the economic system really raised me to be a systems thinker. And so I went into a career that focused a lot on um, social change and empowerment. So I worked in international development with a strong focus on gender empowerment projects. Um, and so that involved a lot of awareness of um, the gendered issues in culture and society and economy. Um, but that was very focused on um, developing countries um, where there was a lot more change that needed to happen. Um, but then mm. once I became a mum, I guess I, I became a lot more aware of the systems issues at play in our experiences of birth and I started to feel really saddened that so many mums miss out on the empowering side of birth because of the systemic issues at play. Um, and I often find it really hard to talk in the mainstream community about my birth experiences because there's a whole, like, negativity about, oh, don't be a martyr, like, why would you have birth without drugs? Mm -hmm. and, and I find there's a lot of hostility to talking about natural birth experiences because there is a lot of trauma um, and the trauma shows in, and it can be the same with breastfeeding too, the, 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 the trauma that women experience for, for not having a natural birth or not, not being able to breastfeed can sometimes play out in blaming the people who advocate for these things for making them feel bad. 
because there's no understand of understanding that it was the system that failed these mums often rather than um, they themselves failing. Um, so I guess my whole mm. birth and mothering experience has been thinking about these systemic issues um, and I, I sort of don't really know where to go with talking about birth because I, I, I find that I'm mostly comfortable talking with women who haven't yet given birth about the systemic issues because I don't want to trigger anyone's trauma um, when it comes to birth. So so that's sort of where I've ended up with talking about my birth experiences is mainly talking with women who haven't um, given birth before um, so that they are aware of some of the systems issues when they're going into the choices they make for themselves. Um, mm. But in terms of parenting and work, um, because I was so passionate about my career, I went back to work. In Australia it's really typical to take 12 months off work. Your job's pr- protected by law. Um, so um, it's it's most often it's without pay or only three months of it is paid by your employer. We do have a government minimum wage for four and a half months now of, of maternity leave pay, but it's really normal to take 12 months off with mm. your baby. Um, but I was so passionate uh, about my job that I negotiated two days a week from home from when my son was five months old um, and then I went back to the office when he got a childcare place when he was 10 months old and I was really passionate about my career and I found um, very quickly that I was pigeonholed. Um, I wasn't allowed to do stretch projects anymore because I was only working three days a week and, and the difference in the way that I was treated before I had my son um, and after was really stark and and there was nothing to say why I should not get to do the stretch challenging work that I wanted to do but mm. I was just treated like because you're only here three days a week we can't give you the important projects um, and I didn't know what to do because in Australia we have really good access to flexible work so that we can have the conditions we want to be able to be the parent we want at home and not be um, missing out on so much of our kids' lives but still have a career. But what happens um, is that women are um, relegated to the mummy track um, as I was and and we're not um, given the opportunities to have the career stops being meaningful and just becomes a place to earn money um for to support your family and and I really wanted it to be both um and at this time that I was really frustrated and and bored at work I had a really astute mentor who heard me talking about sustainable fashion and that I was thinking about starting a blog and she said do it um even you can you can earn money from it even if you never earn money from it you will you will learn so much you should do it and so I just started this as a creative Mm. side project um, and that really renewed my energy because then I could sort of um, stop feeling upset that my career wasn't going well um, and start I had just was energized from this work that I was doing on this creative project on the side Um, but what I didn't expect was that led to so much confidence um, in myself that I 
actually had the confidence to go freelance um, and leave my job um, because when I was in that job three days a week, I was really, I couldn't see the solution because I didn't want to work five days a week. Um, I only wanted to work part-time and most people won't take you on in a new job unless you're willing to work full-time. Um, and so I felt really stuck. Yeah. So freelancing was my answer and I was really happy that I'd solved solved it for myself. I could work from home mostly and do the hours I wanted and work flexibly in the way that I wanted mm. but have challenging work that stretched me. Um, and then a couple of months into this situation where I'd solved my problem for myself, I looked around at all of my mama friends and saw that they were experiencing the exact same problems that I had and that's when I when I said, oh, this is not just me, this is systemic um, and something needs to be done to change it because the answer can't be leaving all of our established organisations and institutions if you're a mum to have a meaningful career. We need we need mum's perspectives mm. in, in government policy, we need mum's perspectives in the not-for-profit sector, we need mum's perspectives in corporations um, and if we don't keep mums there then we still just end up with a very um, very um, non-diverse um, decision makers um, at the top of all our, all our organisations um, and we, we just can't keep um, allowing this to happen and so this realisation that it was systemic um, led me to the idea of Lead Mama Lead, which is a social change movement based on the gender empowerment practice that I'd done internationally um, and based on what I know mm. about community development and social change. And it's really about bringing women together and to say um, this is not okay, it is not just you, it's the system and the system needs to change. And and we as as women and feminists, we fought to get ourselves into work, but we fought to get ourselves into a structure that was designed for men with a full-time wife at home to take care of house and home. And more and more of us yeah, want absolutely. a career and it makes so much sense. When you look at um, in Australia, and it's probably the same in the US but I don't, I'm not familiar, is the fastest-growing um, rate of homelessness is in women over 55 and these are women are, are always women who were mums um, for most of their life and um, they've ended up divorced with with no money behind them with no retirement savings and um, this situation is just um, such an indictment on our culture that we value that caring role so little um, and so we need to be encouraging men and women to be able to earn their own income and support themselves because relationships do break down and families do um, split up and that and that's okay um, but we need we can't be expecting that parents continue to fit themselves into a workplace that wasn't designed for people who are doing both work and caring um, and people's well-being suffers when when we're expected to work as if we don't have kids at home and caring duties um and this is yeah. this is the change um that we need to see and and I know from having worked on gender empowerment projects internationally that when you bring women together and you tell them 
you're being held back and this situation is not okay, um, but you are powerful, then they they change things. Um, and that's sort of essentially what Lead Mama Lead is all about is um, bringing women together so that they feel powerful, um, so that they then have the, the strength to push back on the system that's really marginalised them and make small changes to their own situation that will ripple out into bigger changes on a workplace systemic level. Mm. I'm, I'm just so, so floored by what you're saying because it's, I feel like the conversations really are shifting across the board. And for so long, like you said, you know, I, I wrote, I wrote an article probably a year and a half ago now that, you know, I was, it's just along the same exact lines that you're talking about where, you know, we've, we have this whole like Sheryl Sandberg, like lean in viewpoint or approach to, to women and career. And the truth is that like, like you said, like, this doesn't work. And I think that when, when women, when we made a, when we forced a place for us at the table, when we forced ourselves, you know, forced our way into, into the, you know, the situations in the workplace that we wanted to be in that, yeah, we, we felt like we had to show up and we had to work the way men work and we had to do the things that they do. And the truth is, is that it it doesn't work that way. Not only are we not only are we different, but we have different roles and we have different needs that we're meeting across the spectrum. And I think that there is, there's so much that needs to happen and it's, it's so, so powerful. So with, with lead mama lead, how can, you know, is this, is this something that is location specific? How can people interact with this? How can people get involved and, and, and be, you know, those, those voices in their own communities? Um, we so we have a um, private Facebook group, which is our online community, and that's where a lot of discussion happens. Um, and that is not location specific. Um, so there's women from you know it's still mostly Australia because it's rippled out from my network. But I've got women in the US who are in there, and women in in the UK, and um, so it's it's growing. So that is such a wonderful supportive place to be involved. Um, anyone can can join that we can put a link up on the show notes for this as well um and i'm seeing um that that's very small thing because of the conversations that happen there is already leading women to feel strong enough to change things um and i had one um mum in there who worked for an organization who um, so she did a job that involved a lot of travel and when she went back to work when her son was nine months old, she had to go um, to travel for work when he was only 10 months old and she was still breastfeeding um, and she thought she'd be able to just um, pump and dump while she was travelling um, but unfortunately um, her milk dried up and she she felt sad that that had happened but she felt like okay well he's 10 months old he's had a good run she wasn't traumatized by what was what had happened but it did catalyze her to go out to all the other organizations in her sector which she knew had better breastfeeding mum policies when it came came to travel she got examples of those policies she took them to her workplace and got them to change so now their policy 
um, specifically says that if a, a mum is still breastfeeding and her son is a child is under 18 months old, um, they have to um, have provisions for that child to come along. Um, the organisation has to support that child to come along for the work travel. Um, so that's an incredible example of change that's been catalyzed just from being involved in conversations and feeling strong um, because of the conversations that are happening in this online community. Um, so we often um, underplay the significance of like these small online interactions, but I'm I'm really seeing that um, that that is a much bigger deal than I would have realised that that Facebook group alone. Um, and we do have some location-specific um, events in person and that's mainly around my hometown currently. I'd love it to expand and hopefully one day um, I'll be able to do some travelling events. Um, but we're still early day, days. And we've just recently, I've just recently launched um, an online course um, and looking to expand out the online community um, offerings to um, help mums. So in the last two years, I've been talking to mums with their challenges at work and and um, juggling career and family. Um, I've found that the two major issues for mums that they're facing um, is imposter syndrome, and that really affects how uh, women show up at work. And and what happens is um, that we internalise the messages that tell us, oh, well, you can't be a good career woman if you work, um, if you're a mum or if you work less than full-time. Um, and, and so we doubt our abilities at work and we stop advocating for ourselves to have stretch opportunities. Um, and then um, the other major issue is overwhelm and that affects everything. And that, again, is is really down to the way we internalise the messages we get from society and the conflict between what we are told makes a good career woman and what we are told makes a good mum and the fact that a good career woman should be working as if she doesn't have children and a good mum should be mothering as if she doesn't have a job. Um, And this this, uh, is really a systemic pressure. Um, And so... I just um, this year launched um, a course, online course called Overcoming Overwhelm, um, and it's um, really tried to replicate some of the community aspects. Um, so it's a three-month course. Um, it's got um, it's got online materials, but it also has a course community, which is also run through another um, closed Facebook group to really um, get women talking about these experiences and going through the learning process together um, and and drawing from each other's knowledge. So my practice is all based on creating spaces for vulnerable um, peer learning conversations and creating spaces for mums to know that they're not alone in their experience and to understand that um, the experiences that we have are not our own personal fault but are part of a bigger systemic problem but that we are we have the power to change things for us within that system and and in doing so slowly start to change the system um so yeah that course is running for the first time currently um and it's really wonderful to be bringing a community of mums through that course and 
Um, I'm looking forward to offering it again in September. So it will run from September to November. Um, and I'd really love to bring a whole new community of mums through that same um, program. Um, the community that they join when they do do the course will be um, all the alumni who've been through that program. So as we grow, um, we'll see more and more women who've learnt from their own experiences sharing with each other um, and because sharing your own knowledge and expertise is one of the most powerful ways to build confidence in yourself as a leader. Um, so that's really important for me to create those spaces. Yeah. Well, this is right up our alley. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's like just so much of what we believe and, and I think such a big, big part of the systemic issues that you're talking about is really just lack of community and lack of connection and, and to create those spaces that foster that and cultivate that is, is the most important step in, in really coming against those, those systemic issues that affect women and mothers. So um, we are, we'll be really excited to, to share your work with Lead Mama Lead as well as the Overcome Overwhelm course. Links to those will be in our show notes so people can check those out. Like Summer said, the, her course is going to start again this September. That's uh, September of 2018. So um, you'll be able to find a link to that to be able to participate if that sounds like a like something that would be beneficial to you. Um, Summer, as we're wrapping up, is there anything that you would, from your experiences, you know, growing up with the the unique perspective that you had on, on birth and then your, your own empowering birth experiences and what you really learned about surrender in those experiences, is there anything that you would want to, to share with our audience as a takeaway from your journey? I think that um, the culture that we find our, ourselves in um, makes it hard for women to understand how powerful they really are um, and that from my own experiences um, I know that I'm far more powerful than I ever believed um, and I'm continuing to learn that um, and I just hope that more mums can start to break out of some of these systemic issues that stop us from really knowing how powerful and strong we really are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such That's a wonderful. Yeah. Such a beautiful sentiment. Like Melissa said, I feel like these, and I, I love what you said too, about creating your online community. We had no idea um, when we started this, what would come from it, what these conversations would bring. And I think we are constantly um, humbled and, just really blessed by the fact that what it has brought is wonderful women into our lives and um, this the opportunity to give them a chance to tell their story. And, you know, for us, that means meeting people like you and sharing uh, this amazing work that you're doing with them too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Summer. It's been really, really incredible to hear your story. I'm so glad you reached out. It was just getting your email. I remember reading and just being like, oh my gosh, we have to have you on the show. <laughs> We have to tell your story. <laughs> Thank you. I um, I mean, I love what you're doing in terms of supporting women to tell vulnerable stories because that's what I'm all about. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest le um, lessons I've ever learned from motherhood is feeling the confidence to share vulnerable stories and to feel less alone because of that. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for being vulnerable with us. And, and like Laura said, just, I think what you shared about fear and surrender, both of those things is such a stark contrast, but those were just such beautiful and important things that you shared today. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. And for everyone listening, if you want to hear more stories like this that are inspiring and empowering, uh, please subscribe to the show. You can do that in iTunes or any podcast app that you use to listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram, which is where you'll be able to see updates on the latest episodes, as well as just lots of inspirational content around birth and motherhood. And you can also check out the um, courses and groups that we offer through Mother Birth at our website, motherbirth.co. We have the Trust Your Body Again course, which is for women who've experienced pregnancy loss. And then um, you'll be also be able to get more information on Lara's upcoming group, which is going to be um, group coaching for for women who have experienced birth trauma. So we're really excited about that and how that is growing and changing our community. So thank you all for listening to the show and we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth and a special thanks to our editors, sponsors, and guests for this week's show. As always, this show is created by Lauren Melissa and is intended as general information that does not constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you are pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. In this episode, we may use affiliate links to products and services that we know and trust. These are products we have personal experience with and believe that they will benefit our community. When you use these links, Mother Birth receives a small commission. What you pay for the product or service doesn't change at all. It's the same price. If we share something that includes a discount code, we may still receive an affiliate commission without affecting the discount offered to you. Thank you for supporting our show.